You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 124. We are kicking off the month of July. I can't tell you what the theme is because that's your job. The first film is Terms of Endearment. It came out in 1983. It was James Brooks' directorial debut. We know him from Broadcast News in 87, As Good As It Gets in 97, Spanglish in 04. He also created Room 222, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rhoda, Lou Grant, Taxi, The Tracy Ullman Show, which then brought us The Simpsons. I would sing the Simpsons theme song, but then we would have to pay. Can we do that much? I don't know. We'll find <laughs> out. Um, broadcast News, was that also Deborah Winger? Was that Holly? Holly Hunter, Hunter yeah. who was considered for the role of Emma. Now, this is not saying anything about the individuals involved, but Holly Hunter and Deborah Winger do have a very similar build and kind of look, so mm-hmm. I could see that. This film stars Shirley MacLaine as Aurora Greenway, Deborah Winger as the aforementioned Emma, Jack Nicholson as Garrett Breedlove, Danny DeVito as Vernon Dollart, Jeff Daniels as Flap Horton. What a name. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a Southern name, Flap? I've yeah, never heard that. I haven't either. And John Lithgow as Sam Burns. The DP for this film was Andreas Bartowak. Uh, he's an esteemed cinematographer known for his long durable association with Sidney Lumet. He did The Verdict in 1982, Pritzi's Honor in 85, Nuts with Barbara Streisand in 87, Twins in 88, one of your favorites, Falling Down from 93, and 13 Days in the year 2000. Well, Twins had DeVito in it, Mm -hmm. and Pritzi's Honor had Jack Nicholson, so Mm, he just kind of worked his way through the cast. The writer for this film is Larry McMurtry of The Last Picture Show in 1971, Streets of Laredo in 95, and Brokeback Mountain in 2005. The synopsis for this film is, the film follows hard-to-please Aurora looking for love and her daughter's family problems. The tagline for this film is, come to laugh, come to cry, come to care, come to terms. Um, hmm. No, thank you. (laughs) So a couple little bits of trivia and kind of the people involved as well as casting. Deborah Weir and Shirley MacLaine did not get along during the making of this film, which probably helped for the... The tension between m- Emma and Aurora. Yeah, mother and daughter. Yeah, I mean, like, really didn't get along. Like, violently didn't get along. Yes, there was... Deborah Weir behaved erratically on set, and she was fighting a severe cocaine addiction. A little booger sugar going yeah. on there. And at one point, her and Shirley got into a shoving match. That is reported, as well as there's a scene where she walked over and lifted her skirt and passed gas in Shirley's direction. That's pretty much telling her what you think of her. Right. Also, uh, Jack Nicholson would do some crazy things, like there's a scene where she leaves her birthday dinner to go over and see if... He meant, he asked her out like years before and he, she's asking him if, if he still is interested 
And she said he would open the door, boxer shorts. He would open the door naked. He would open the door with a prostitute. Hmm. <laughs> so Classy is what you're telling me. <laughs> so uh, can we take a moment to talk about casting? Yeah. And then I, the other thing I was going to add, James Elbrook settled on Shirley MacLaine because she was the only one that understood that she was the only one that saw it as a comedy. And so he he tasked her with playing Aurora and then some other people that were considered for the Jack Nicholson role were Burt Reynolds. He loved the script, but he was already already committed to Stroker Ace and Paul Newman and Harrison Ford turned down the role while in Houston. Jack Nicholson hung out with some real astronauts to get ready for the role. And lastly, Janet Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis were considered to and their real life mother and daughter. So that would have been interesting to see how they played pretend mother and daughter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What were you going to say? Well, with casting, we talked about this during the film. There was a pause involved, but I, I don't understand why people cast Jack Nicholson as a ladies' man. And this is nothing against Mr. Nicholson. He's probably very charming in person. I'm not saying I'm better looking than him. I just don't buy him ever on screen as the, 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 the character that all the ladies swoon over. Other character or actors I do buy that with, just not Nicholson. He's such a, a unique kind of personality that I, I think, for me at least, in every film, I see Jack Nicholson, not the character. But that, for me, that casting was odd. I know other people have cast him in that role in their films, but it just didn't land for me. So that was, uh, unfortunately, that made that the relationship between Aurora and Breedlove a bit more challenging for me. Also, the behavior of the character, he was uh, a little date rapey in his behavior. And I think because I didn't see him as charming, that came out more for me, was the um, the kind of, I don't know if you can call it Lothario, he was really kind of an assaulter in my, in my experience. So I thought that was odd because I don't think that's what the role was written for. Now, I wonder if, because I, I do see where you're getting that vibe, but I think because this was your first viewing, correct? Correct. And so I definitely do not want to be a, a misogynist apologist. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think of the time, I think this was, I don't know. I don't think it was that outlandish or. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I mean, if someone is an astronaut, right. They're like, a hero. They're used to getting their way and everybody fawning over them. Right. So it probably is appropriate that he grabbed her boob. But even in the 80s, I think that was a little too forward. Well, it may, should it be noted here that um, that was ad-libbed by Jack Nicholson. That was not in the script. So oh, yeah. A little that, salty. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, I do not want to be an apologist. I right. think I just want to be careful as we talk about these movies. I, I Sadly, when I watched it in 83, it didn't seem, I mean, it read as somebody who, who takes what he wants. And so I, I guess, I guess the word rapey is where I'm getting hung up on. I think he was a handsy fellow that would have been annoying to most women. I don't know. Are we getting in the weeds? Well, no, it's just, he, um, he puts his hands on women without not just even consent, but where them even seeming like they're into it. Right. I feel like 
if that was my sister or daughter, he'd get punched. I think it was across the line, even in 83. Well, and I guess that kind of lends to, if you think of, except for Aurora, the women that he was around, they were sadly women who were used to being handled or, you know, abused, quite frankly. They weren't, he wasn't dating classy women that, or women who kind of set some boundaries. They were women who didn't set boundaries. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's why I said I don't think the character is unrealistic. But for me, like I just couldn't kind of get past uh, Nicholson being Jack Nicholson to the point where it was a character that I bought that with. So as an example, in I can't think of the film, but Alec Baldwin plays a doctor. Oh, yeah. He's very charming and handsome. And like I totally, when I'm in that film, I can see that character as being that suave and he's able to to you know woo the women i totally bought that this one because i didn't see that this kind of handsy part really came across weird to me Mm -hmm. where i didn't like that character at all and i don't think i was supposed to hate that character but i really didn't respond to that character yeah i don't know if we're supposed to like him he's definitely supposed to be a match for aurora because she is no shrinking yeah. violet and she's not, she's not that nice either right <laughs> she's very much a steel magnolia <laughs> so let's let's i'm gonna skip ahead yeah, yeah let's come back to cinematography because i have a lot in writing because those first few scenes really kind of tell us who emma and aurora are right at one point oh early on Nicholson's character is moving in and Emma is super excited. She's sitting on the lawn, literally just watching the movers move his stuff in like a celebrity is moving in, which I guess in Houston, maybe that's what it would be considered. And she's going to go say goodbye to her mom. And so she asks her friend to come with her and her friend's like, nah, I'm good. And she says, sure would be nice to have a mother that everyone liked. I think she said that somebody liked. That somebody liked. It was, yeah, that was a great line, but wow. <laughs> and so it clearly tells us that Aurora is a bit of a, and I think maybe we hear Aurora yelling for her to come in. So Right. I made a note that two of the first three scenes, Aurora is waking Emma up due to Aurora's insecurities. So yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely, from the show, don't tell. They uh, show us that Aurora is emotionally bound to Emma in an unhealthy way. Yeah, and that was when she was like younger, like yeah, a, first a, as a child, yeah. and then I think as a teenager, right. right? And so we see that they have a very enmeshed relationship. Yeah, and then when Emma goes to get married, it almost it's it, we don't see the wedding. We only see her and Flap go to their apartment, and it's almost like. They were the only two at the wedding. Yeah, that's a good point. We didn't see the wedding. And now that you mentioned that, it could have been a courthouse. Yeah, there's a really delightfully nasty line that Aurora says, you're not special enough to overcome a bad marriage. Yeah, she tries to talk her out of it the night before. So, right. And I think Emma even says, don't come if you can't be happy. So then they go, they come to their home or apartment. And yeah. the phone is just ringing incessantly and Emma Emma picks up the phone and she says leave me alone I don't want to talk to you now I'm happy (laughs) right such a great line to capture that relationship between them and then there's a point where Flap gets on the phone or he answers the phone and he says something like I just asked that you would like 
call later. So we we see as a viewer that she call they, they're on the phone a lot. Mm-hmm. That this is the, again they're like you said enmeshed. And but there there are like subtle moments where we see that like we don't understand maybe why Emma kind of softens and treats her mom with kindness. But there are moments where she, it's almost like she just understands how insecure and lonely and dependent her mom is. And so she will kind of soften to it or, or I don't know, give in to her mom at times I see. So even though it was a struggle, you know, from a production standpoint, I felt like Deborah Winger's performance as Emma did a good job of showing a daughter that still loves her mother, even though her mother is really difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things that I mentioned in the film, that was never clarified is where Aurora got her money because it seemed like she had more money than Emma did. And we, we see that flap is a literate person and we think maybe possibly a writer, but he's a professor and professors don't make a huge amount uh, we have a friend of ours who can tell us how little they probably make, mm-hmm. but that's definitely at least middle class, right? A professor right. is decent. Um, so I, I wasn't quite sure how Aurora got that kind of money. And you see that uh, Breedlove has definitely former astronaut level house, right? Right. That's a pretty nice house. And he's got a swimming pool and everything. Well, and Aurora isn't too keen on sharing it, you know, yeah, yeah. When, when asked and even one time when um, Emma calls her and, and thinks that she's pregnant, Aurora suggests she get an abortion. Which is pretty racy for 83. Well, it, just like for a grandmother to go, yeah, we've got to, let's just off the third. It was just, <laughs> whoa. Yeah, that that's, that's pretty, um, I don't know if callous is the word, but. It comes close. Yeah, for a grandmother. So I, the other thing I found interesting is, when Lithgow comes into the picture, she's getting mm-hmm. groceries. And I wondered as I was watching this scene, this is one of my biggest like fears and nightmares. And I wonder if it comes from this movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> is standing at the grocery line and you don't have enough money. And so she starts pulling stuff off. And it's cute because she bought like a five pack of candy bars. So she puts it back. <laughs> and the kid says, mom. And so she gets him one and then she looks down at the little brother and feels bad. So she gets him two and the checker is like, we're going in the wrong direction. Right. With no compassion. And so Lithgow has to help her out with the groceries. So I just, I think I panic almost every time I pay the groceries that something like this is going to happen to me. And so they kind of develop a relationship and at one point she said they meet at a restaurant and she says contemplating sin isn't wrong. And I was just so struck by that because throughout the most of the film, she has deep affection and love for Flap. And so why is she even considering an affair? But her mom, I think her mom, we're supposed to think that Aurora was married many times, maybe. Interesting. Well, no, we see the dad at the very beginning and then he dies. So... Are we to think that he just left him a ton of money? Well, it's interesting you say that because as I read the relationship with Lithgow's character, is it Sam? Is that right? Yes, Sam. Is she was looking for attention and affection that 
flap was gone all the time. And he had these excuses, but the way it was shot is, as a viewer, I felt like they were fishy excuses. And it was almost like... Do you think Emma had suspicions? Yeah, I kind of feel like... Now, I'm not saying this. I don't have a lot of experience, but I've heard the theory that the other person always knows because there's like, at least suspects. And so I felt like in this case, that definitely came across was that Emma was suspicious of, of his behavior. And maybe this is realistic. It isn't, I, I think, to me, but maybe some people. But it was like she both did love, still love Flap and wanted him to be the father and the husband and all that, but she also needed Sam. Um, and that's why she didn't want to leave. Uh, and then she, of course, discovers that Flap is really just following his girlfriend to this other college, and that's why she gets really upset and makes that delightful scene in the middle of campus, which, when I was at college, we never had any of those scenes. Not, nothing fun like that? Yeah, no. That was a real housewife moment. Yeah, it was. So at the same time that she's kind of connecting with Sam, Aurora decides to finally... I think Aurora's always been intrigued by Garrett, and so when... It's so weird that she had this birthday party with all these other basic, her doctor. They were all suitors. Yeah, but that's so inappropriate for your doctor. To to, to want to get in your pants in a not professional. So I was like, was the doctor there to make sure that those other two? No, I, the way it landed to me was she invited every, all the candidates. All the single men she knew. Yeah, exactly. And so the, so she's kind of wanting to have a partner and so at the same time and so then she's getting with garrett and there's the infamous scene where they drive out um in the water which once she threw him in the water everything else after that was all ad-libbed huh i i have to say i i really couldn't get past the fact that they ruined that corvette (laughs) salt water is horrible for vehicles yeah over pretty much or anything. But. Yeah, but it's like totaled that car. I'm just going to round out what I had. Then, you know, the the climax of this film is Emma gets sick. And it's interesting because at the very beginning, I noticed when she first leaves home, Emma kisses who we think is just the housekeeper, but I think was housekeeper slash nanny because she kisses her on the lips. Like, oh. and she, I don't even think she kisses Aurora. And her name's Rosie. And then when we find out that Emma has breast cancer, Aurora says, Rosie, our girl's in trouble. And so I think that Aurora leaned on Rosie to kind of maybe do more of the affection in the, you know, kind of in a maternal way than Aurora couldn't do. And now that, like when you mentioned that, I realized that Rosie has a hair color and complexion closer to Emma than Aurora does. Hmm. I don't. You're writing another movie. Okay. Okay. So, anything else in the writing that you want to talk about before I go into cinematography? Well, I I thought it was interesting that Flap was all over the map linguistically. At one point, he says to Emma, "You're my sweet ass gal," <laughs> which uh, uh maybe is a term of endearment. But later, he he uses the word quizzling. And I have literally never heard another person use that word before, and I was stunned that he uh, 
He he did so. Well, he, we are to think that he is very literate because when they first come back to that apartment, there's just tons and tons and tons of paperbacks stacked all over that place. Yeah, uh, but quizzling. So tip of the cap to McMurtry or whomever because uh, I I learned that word in high school and I've never heard it since. So good job. And and there is a line from Patsy. Which again probably landed, you know, okay in eighty three. Who's her best friend? She says it was so interesting dating Jews after the divorce, and I just feel like nowadays they wouldn't put that line of dialogue in the film. But uh, she had moved, I think, to L.A., so that was that was why she was talking about that. So yeah, it was uh, interesting. You mentioned that James L. Brooks considered this a comedy. I wouldn't. I considered a drama. There were a few humorous e moments, but I wouldn't consider it a comedy. I think it was a drama, and it was fine for what it was. It wasn't overly a tearjerker, but um, it was you know this dramatic story of Emma, her life, mm-hmm. birth to death. Um, oh, you're right, because we did see her when she was a baby. So cinematography, the, it was very well lit. Most scenes, yeah, were nicely lit, and then there was a great shot. Aurora and Garrett are sitting in the gazebo in her backyard oh yeah and it's almost like they obviously removed the back wall off the gazebo because at one point we see it we see aurora sitting in it all by herself and it's like an enclosed it's not a very open gazebo it's only really open on one side like where the the door is yeah so they obviously but there's this great shot where we see it from inside the gazebo facing out and so the doorway of the gazebo creates like a nice framing and then Garrett and Aurora are looking at each other. So it's nice profiles. And then you see her house and her beautiful garden in the back. I just, it was a shot I enjoyed. Yeah. You mentioned lit. I noticed the catch lights in Emma and Patsy's eyes when they were token it up before the wedding. Mm-hmm. And there, there's um, some interesting uh, shot composition and blocking. Aurora and Emma have the conversation before the wedding where she says, don't even bother coming. And they both sit crisscross applesauce on furniture. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's odd. I rarely see people sit on furniture like that. They'll sit that way on the floor, but not on furniture. I think that was to evoke um, how young she was. But then later, Emma is sitting on the floor and Shirley MacLaine walks into frame and then squats down to get into frame. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. very interesting that instead of following her and then dropping to see... Emma, they just focus on Emma and uh, Aurora had to move herself into frame. And they did some neat framing with things. I did note the gazebo framing, but there's also a a window framing when Aurora and Emma are talking and the first son is playing in the backyard. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is one shot I noticed at the restaurant when Breedlove takes Aurora to, to the restaurant. It felt to me like Aurora sat next to him for the shot. It did it didn't land like a natural. I think if if this was your first date with a woman, you would sit on the opposite side of the table from him, not right next to him. Uh, when they wait, the very first time they went out. Yeah, when they went out to the restaurant, it was before the Corvette in the ocean surf. Yeah, they're sitting whole day. opposite one another. Uh, I made a note that they sit next to each other around the corner of the table, not opposite. Huh? I could be wrong. Because there are people who go to that restaurant and ask for the terms of endearment table. Uh, would uh, uh, listeners uh, call in and let us know if I got that one wrong? 
Because I, well, I can look up the scene. Okay, but it's also fun for the listeners to okay, get engaged. Sorry. Yes, we're trying to <laughs> listen <to> engagement. <laughs> you were talking about that that scene where they're driving back. I thought it was good editing because we go from Emma going with Sam because they want to go to a restaurant out of town so they're not seen, and then cut from them being in the car to Aurora driving with Jack, where he's driving with his feet or he's not driving at all and she's driving anyway. Yeah. Like he stood up and I think he was steering with a foot and she was, she was using using her foot. But uh, yeah, I did make a note. Do not steer with your feet. Okay. We don't want to step on the driving review. Right. Another way that we are informed of the characters is Aurora is always put together as far as her hair and makeup and clothing And Emma is almost always just like a mess, you know, a dirty shirt and her hair is all, you know, ski-wadgy and her um, clothes don't really match. And then Aurora's house is nice and clean, thanks to probably Rosie. And Emma's always living in kind of like squalor. Yeah, I I think also they highlight kind of the, the difference in build because Deborah Winger is so petite. And Shirley McLean is a, of a, what you would say a more of a normal size. So I think you see more baggy clothes on Deborah Winger than you do on Aurora. But then when Emma goes to New York with Patsy, they make a note that like her friends are dressed nicer. And so Emma feels a little like the country mouse, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, I just took note uh, when we were in any of the car scenes in one scene. It, oh, wait, once again, not trying to step on a driving <laughs> review, but there the kid at once in one scene, the kid just looked like he was just like free reign in the back seat, which I do remember. And then in another scene, he was in the front seat in the type of high or a car seat. I remember where the, the bar comes over your head, like in a, in a roller coaster ride. And that was pretty much, maybe they put a buckle on you, but it was minimal. No. You know, I'm really torn on this one because we did grow up like that. We survived just fine. It was fun rolling around in the back of a station wagon or sliding on the bench seat to slam your sister into the door on a turn. But then also from a safety perspective, I'd be happier if everybody was in five-point harnesses. So I'm really kind of torn on that one. And then it was um, kind of shocking to me. I've gotten so used of uh, not only in real life, but in TV and, and film, you have your own room generally. Back in the day, you used to share it with maybe one other person. And poor Aurora is dying of cancer and she's got to share a room with th- three people. Yeah, in the hospital? Well, yeah. Um, I got to say, I don't, I don't really know in 83 what the state of the art was in hospitals. That's a good point. I just, that would, that would just be horrible, especially imagine sharing a room and Aurora comes to visit your roommate. Yeah. It, if it would you, if not you're be not ple- Emma. Yeah. It, it would not be pleasant. Right. But I love it how she hangs the uh, Renoir in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and she's even rude to the, the poor workmen who are trying to hang this painting. Right. Right. It felt a little cold. Oh, I guess this is kind of writing, but it felt a little cold when the doctor is like, okay, so um, the, dr- the drug we were trying on you didn't work, so you'll need to make some arrangements. But I think actually that's fairly realistic because a lot of physicians are, they struggle with their bedside manner. They're very um, unemotional. 
Okay, fair point. <laughs> Write in all the doctors who listen if you disagree. Hey, no, I mean, Dr. Gillingham is not like that, but uh, um, one of our actor friends does work practicing being sick to let doctors practice their bedside manner, and she reported that a lot of them struggle. Okay. So it's not just me. Was there any head trauma in this film? Um, yeah, there is a little bit. Um, near the end of the film, Aurora chokes and then slaps Tommy. So that was uh, uh, like Who's child. Tommy? Uh, the oldest son. Oh, wait. Does, does she slap him as a result of the choking? No, she first chokes him and then she slaps him. Oh, she chokes him? Yeah. She chokes her grandson? That's, that's according to my How notes. How did I miss this? I remember the slap. It's like outside the hospital, I believe, after... Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's right. That was a horrible scene. And then there's also... I didn't detect specific head trauma, but Aurora reacts poorly to Breedlove's drunken boob grabs, and there was a little beating that went on there. Mm-hmm. Maybe some drowning. Some light drowning. Some light drowning. <laughs> um... Was there a smooch? Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. There there were a couple yeah. smooches. So at her birthday party, some guy, I think it's the doctor, and then Vernon gives her a kiss at 49 mm-hmm. minutes. Breedlove kisses her in the water at one hour, and then Sam kisses him a goodbye at one hour 32. And then before that, we had to have gotten kissing of Emma and Flap after they got married. That would make sense, but I I didn't make a note of it, and I don't remember them specifically smooching. They were laying in the bed together, but I don't remember a specific smooch. Okay. Um, How about a driving review? We've been we've been teasing this driving review all episode. (laughs) So I want to say that uh, there is really early on when it's uh, when Emma is young. There's a nice 1946 Chrysler. That was a really nice car there. Breedlove drives two cars. We do see him with the 67 Jaguar XKE, and that is a pretty swanky car uh, for its era. And then later he drives this uh, 78 Silver Stingray Corvette, which actually makes a lot more sense for an astronaut. The Corvettes are very popular with astronauts. He has some Funtime Girls, and they show up with a 66 Lincoln Continental, a lot like Dax's, so I think he should be a fan at least of that scene. And I was thinking, what young woman drives that car? That's a pretty... The Lincoln Continental is the top-end car. That's not a cheap car. And at the time of this film, it was about 17 years old, but it looked in good repair. So I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe that was Daddy's car. I noticed that Flap must have been in okay, because he had a 72 Plymouth Fury station wagon. That's a pretty nice station wagon. And But then it's great that Sam drives this uh, just horrible brown 78 Pontiac Catalina. I mean, that just says boring. I did make a note that you should never steer with your feet, kids. You Use the hands. Two and ten. The things with the opposable thumbs. Let's use those. And then lastly, I noticed that when she comes back and Patsy has moved back to town, Patsy's driving a Jaguar XJ12, which shows that Patsy's husband is doing quite well for yes. himself. And that was interesting, too, that Patsy and and Emma never really seemed to be in the, in the same socioeconomic right. class once she left Aurora. I guess you could say that yeah. they probably were when she lived with Aurora, but then, but yet they remained friends throughout, which I think, you know, I mean, is a testament. And mm-hmm. I think when you when you grow up with somebody and you're 
and you're just such good friends that that can, you know, I thought that was sweet that, that Patsy didn't just kind of right. dump her basically. And we see when, when Emma goes to visit her Patsy in New York, that she really does keep her around. She's, she's nice to her and, and isn't uh, treating her poorly. Correct. Correct. Okay, shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay, I'm going to kick it off with my awards section first to say that Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger were both nominated for 1983's Best Actress Oscar, and it went to uh, MacLaine. And on her way to the podium, she reportedly whispered to Winger, half of this belongs to you, to which Winger replied, I'll take half. Yeah, they were good buddies, it sounds like. (laughs) And then, just as an aside, Jack Nicholson holds the record for the highest number of Oscar nominations. Mm. So the film won Best Picture that year. And then, like I said, Shirley won for Best Actress. Jack Nicholson won for Best Actor. Best Director went to James L. Brooks. And they got many other nominations that year. Shirley and Jack won the Golden Globe. And James James won a Writers Guild and Directors Guild Award. So that's it was a, a good uh, award season for them. The budget for this film was $8 million. It made domestically 108.4, pretty much worldwide, because they either they weren't tracking worldwide numbers or the worldwide market wasn't as broad or it wasn't getting reported, because when I look up older movies, oftentimes the domestic and worldwide are the same. And adjusted for inflation today, that would be like a film making three hundred and three point seven million. So I am stunned that it got that many awards in that much box office. I think this film is okay, but it's just okay to me. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider this, you know, like AFI top one hundred. Oh or anything. my god, I bet it's on there. Yeah, I'm I sure it is. It up. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little different here, and it's not because it's got Tom Cruise in it, because he's not in it. <laughs> no, but I don't think it's your type of movie. I mean, this is one of the best, like, yeah, I would say this is, I bet you it's in the top 25. But it's way too long. At two hours, 12 minutes? Yeah, easily 30 minutes needs to be cut out of this film. It's Like I said, it's a fine film, but I don't think it's a fantastic film. It, Not to me, at least. It got a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, yeah. which is high for IMDb. High for IMDb. 81% of the critics love it, and 83% of audiences love it. Yeah. Uh, again, y'all might be right. You're seeing something I'm not. <laughs> it's rated PG. It was originally an R, but I believe they cleaned it up a bit to get that PG rating. And like Mike is struggling with, it... Uh, it ha- It is listed as a comedy drama, and it is from Paramount Pictures. All right. So it was also filmed in Houston, Nebraska, Kansas City, and a couple scenes in New York. So that does it for Terms of Endearment, our first film kicking off the month, month of July. So this month you have five chances, five clues to figure out what the theme is. Please write us or text us at 971 971- Two four five four one four eight, or you could let's see, you can email Christy at dodgemediaproductions.com, and all of that will be in the show notes. So have a great week, everybody, and never forget Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, 
go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 